Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Jane have to say about Othello. Well, (laughs) don't worry. Fast forward. Within three minutes, we'll be back on track, kids. Off you go. Well, the funny thing was, I went with my dear friend. Don't need to name her. Well, actually, I probably wouldn't matter because she's definitely never listened to this. She, um, she's the beginning of the menopause. She's slightly in denial. Claims she isn't. I'm here to tell you she is. She booked these tickets for Othello, and um, I think I did make clear that I was slightly ambivalent about rounding off quite a long day at work with a Shakespearean event in the evening. And we got to the theatre, and it turned out that um, she'd actually got the tickets, which is very kind of her, for Monday. And it was Wednesday when we turned up. And it was the, not the following Monday, but the previous Monday. So they looked as though, are you still paying attention? Like I said, I'm back back in, back in the room, three minutes time. You crack on, love. Well, there was a window for me to, I thought, I can't help it, I'm human. A part of me thought, oh, shit, (gasps) we can't go. Never mind, we'll go for a drink or something to eat instead. I don't mind. And then we got other tickets. (laughs) Not just any old tickets were on the front row. Oh, gosh. So now I'm I'm really listening. it was um, a company called Frantic Assembly. And uh, they're very, very good. And it's it's very physical, lots of choreography, lots of dance. It was set around a billiard table um, and everyone was in tracksuits and baseball caps. And I, I, it was amazing as a, as a spectacle. But it was, and this is going to sound utterly ridiculous, bearing in mind what I'd gone to see. It was very violent, very violent. Obviously, there's lots of death at the end. One poor female character just sort of passes away in a corner of the... The corner of the stage. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Barely noticed by anybody else. At one point, um, Othello, because I, d- I don't think this is really a spoiler, because I think people are aware it's one of the Shakespearean tragedies. Uh, Othello comes on stage bleeding profusely and holding a knife and says, Do not be afraid. And I thought, When everybody, I'm afraid at that point, everybody laughed because it was quite scary. But very, very good. Lovely. Uh, Janie has sent in this email, which says, I love the normalcy and sheer lack of crisis in your ramblings. The stress of going away for half term and working out the needs for domestic felines. Wait for this, everybody. This morning, I've been coordinating with my husband a safe return of a bull elephant. 
Due to climate change and human conflict, this elephant has found refuge on our farm in the Rift Valley in Kenya. However, at eight o'clock last night, he went wandering in the nearby area, which is highly populated with small farms. At six o'clock this morning, when we realised the danger he and our neighbours were in, we coordinated with the Kenya Wildlife Service and the local administration to persuade the elephant to return to his safe space at the farm. Thank goodness for mobile phones and dedicated people we were able to gently herd him back into the farm. This is a huge privilege despite the stress and disruption to the daily running of a mixed farm. I know, sitting at my desk listening to your podcast and a different world. Asante Sana, or thank you, says Janie. Well, that puts my shall I do two cat litter trays to shame, doesn't it? And it almost makes a mockery of my review of Othello. (laughs) (laughs) Almost. No, darling, your crit was lovely. (laughs) It really was. Janie, um, I just would like to know more, please. I want to know about where you are exactly. And I I really did not know that elephants, or bull elephants in particular maybe, I don't know, have had to move where they are. They've had to leave their natural habitat because of climate change or human conflict. Uh, When you think about the damage that humans have done to the other inhabitants of this planet it is food for thought isn't it Mm, very much so but also barbara's not eating normal cat food she is refusing normal cat food and i had to go out and buy a tin and i thought i would never do this as a lifelong pet owner gourmet cat food you know the stuff that's twice the price but half the size yeah that She's only eating that. She's a naughty little thing, Barbara. She's gone gourmet. She's going to be trouble, I can tell. Well, Brian's completely normal. He's happy to take it all. He's the one who purrs first. He's got a lovely little fat tum on him. Ah, but it's all gourmet. <laughs> right. This is all a long way from Kenya, Janie, isn't it? Um, but a little insight there into feline antics round at uh, Fiona's. Um, thank you so much for that insight into your life in Kenya. And I would, I'd like to know more about that. You would as well, wouldn't you? Very much so. Um, a farm in the Rift Valley. Um, that is absolutely fantastic. This from Louise. Uh, my husband is in his 50s and is part of a male mate's WhatsApp group. Now, they regularly share videos and images that are degrading to women. I think he does feel a bit uncomfortable about it and sometimes shows me the chat. Examples would be their sexist comments about our mutual friends, porno videos, videos, just inappropriate stuff. They wouldn't put it on a mixed WhatsApp group. They just don't think it's bad and it's funny with no thought about women. It does make me sad to think that my friends are laughing about images that are degrading to women and I'm really not sure what to do about it. Um, Louise, yeah, oh God, mulling that one over, I don't, it's a, it's a hard one that, isn't it? Um, because this is our husband and she loves her husband and he sounds like a decent bloke, but he's got mates and there probably are things, let's face it, that men say to other men and in the company exclusively of men that they wouldn't say when there are women around. And there are things that women talk about when we're on our own, often about men, that we wouldn't share with men. But this sounds as though it's a little bit worse than that, doesn't it? I can genuinely say in all of my all-female WhatsApp groups that nobody's ever circulated anything that's horrendously degrading about men. Because I know what Louise is talking about. We all know what Louise is talking about. And there's just more stuff out there that is degrading to women. But it's such a tricky one because I bet in lots and lots of ways, Louise, your husband's lovely and thoughtful and, you know... I'm sure a lot of the other men on that group would present as being lovely and thoughtful too. And perhaps they just genuinely don't know that uh, if... Well, I suppose you could just ask him. 
if you published all of that or if somebody found your phone and published all of that, really, would you be happy with it? Would you feel okay? Would you feel that was a fair reflection of how you think about women? Uh, I suspect that it's not until it's flushed out into the open that lots of men would think, oh, actually, I'm not sure about that. Well, there's been a lot of stuff, hasn't there? A lot of talk about the police WhatsApp groups where people who clearly we should have expected higher standards from were sharing really inappropriate stuff amongst amongst each other. Yeah, but um, sorry, go on. No, I, I just I think you're right. I mean, I'm in lots of, of WhatsApp groups and nobody has ever attempted to share a, a pornographic image on any of the WhatsApp groups that I'm a member of. And I would be horrified if they did. Yeah. But I suppose you've got to say, how would Louise's husband be treated? How would he be thought of if he were the bloke who called it out and said to the other members of the group, I'm really sorry, I'm going to have to leave uh, because I'm finding this really uncomfortable and I respect women and I love my wife and please stop sharing this stuff. Well, Louise starts her email to us saying, I was listening to your podcast yesterday and you were discussing men who are unwilling to change and don't see their behaviour as sexist or inappropriate. And that's the point, isn't it? Just lots of men who don't think that they're doing anything wrong because the overwhelming tide that has swept them along as young men, teenage boys, into adult life has kind of made it acceptable to watch those images of women. And I suppose you just do have to get to a time when you, you, need, to, you need to both be looking at it and your husband needs to understand how it makes you feel. So, yes, it might be uncomfortable to be that man but to maybe call it he out. Be it. But he's closer to it than Louise's. So that's what we were saying, wasn't yeah. it? That women trying to call it out is just it's just not working, Jane. Let's accept failure on that front. Because we're seen as po faced or, you know, oh it was just a joke or you know, whatever it is. So it's it is up to men to say, I'm not sure. Well, uh, Louise, that hasn't helped you very much, I suspect. Um, and it's slightly putting the pressure on you to tell your husband he ought to leave the WhatsApp group, which you know is not easy because if that's the way he communicates with his mates, that's quite a tall order. Ugh. But then we, we've all, all of us have been in conversations, haven't we? Or been at nights out when the conversation takes a turn that we don't like. And, you know, if somebody said something racist at the uh, my um, primary school night in, tomorrow night i'm not at primary school but these this group of women that i meet with every friday night to air our concerns about our week um nobody would but if they did somebody would call it out yep and it's the same thing really there's a really really brilliant email an anonymous one can i read all of this yes just because i think this it's is very good isn't it so so important um so it's along the same kind of lines and it's based on the conversation that we were having off the back of the interview with Emily Atack in The Times, which is her saying, am I in any way to blame for all of the trolling that I get because I post pictures of myself in bikinis and whatever. Uh, this reminded me of something I dealt with as a teacher in a co-ed secondary school, which comes back to me every time this topic is discussed. In a pastoral role, I had to tell a basically decent teenage boy that he was being suspended for sending a dick pic to a girl. He was in tears of 
distress at the thought of the humiliation of this, but it was not difficult to see that he was also experiencing genuine heartbreak, and he kept saying, I thought she liked me. Sheard confused him by being what he had interpreted as a bit flirtatious, and his dick pic was a modern version of what we used to call a clumsy pass. She had a collection of such pictures sent to her by the cool boys that everybody fancies, it turned out, which she had not reported to the school authorities. I don't want to relate this story, says our emailer, to encourage victim blaming, but my heart bled for him and I do think that if we want decent men, such as the one I'm sure he's grown up to be, to engage in discussions about misogyny, we need to be careful not to accuse them of trying to defend the indefensible when they offer their voices, as this is not necessarily what they're trying to do, and they may have insights which would help us to get closer to an answer to the only question which will tackle the problem effectively, which is quite simply, why? And I just couldn't agree with you more, because I think it is of absolutely no surprise to me that some teenage boys are part of groups where porn is circulating, are sending pictures like that to girls, because there are some girls who are sending the equivalent pictures to boys. And so to blame it all on men all the time, I think, is incredibly unhelpful. And how you're meant to learn the rules of engagement at the moment, I just don't know. Because there are mean girls as well as difficult boys. And if we don't let boys speak up and explain what it is that they're facing, actually, and what they think they're being asked to do, then you're absolutely right. We're never going to get to the heart of it. And I hate that kind of, you know, I hate that all all men will turn to it. It's just not true. It's just not true. But it must be so confusing at the moment. And also, who'd be a teacher? at um, a secondary school right now. I'm not sure I'd um, relish the prospect. No, but you sound like an absolutely lovely teacher because you've been able to see the nuance in what is undoubtedly an incredibly uh, difficult and just embarrassing situation, actually. Yeah. Um, the dick pic used to be something that... Um, well, it was unthinkable, wasn't it? I mean, I, <laughs> absolutely unthinkable that this is where we've ended up. And it's sort of half... Tragic. Occasionally does make you laugh, just at the sheer absurdity of it. That and and um our emailer is absolutely right. You know, what we, a modern version of what we used to call a clumsy pass. Yep. Just sometimes I just think, what would my nan say? Honestly, what would they make of it? Yep. But also girls do send pictures. Oh god, I mean the too. yeah, absolutely. Uh but equally extraordinary. Very much so. That we can agree on. Right. Um, I'm going to end, by the way, we're going to hear from our big guest today on our Times radio show, but I will end with a little bit of advice from Kirsty Allsop. Because oh, I, please do. Yeah, no, that's at the end, though. Oh, that'll make everything better. Well, is, it, like, about, is it about craft? It isn't, although I, I've got a, I like her. I like Kirsty. I think I love Phil Spencer, and I like location, location, <laughs> location. But I'm mainly interested in theatre. <laughs> Now, our big guest today was Aisha Vardag. Uh, she is known in some quarters as the divorce diva. You might know her as someone who spends quite a lot of time in headlines in the newspapers banging on about how she doesn't like cardigans. Uh, she's someone who likes a particular statement office efficient wear in her incredibly salubrious offices at Vardag's, which is her uber successful marital disharmony legal company, which she runs with her chief executive husband, who's her second husband. Two of her children are also 
working for Vardags. You could say divorce is a family affair for the Vardags. So Aisha is a woman who Aisha Aisha is a woman who is the go-to person if you're absolutely loaded and tragically uh, your marriage is falling apart. And uh, she describes in the interview how, frankly, if there are two really rich people getting divorced, it's whoever gets the mobile phone first and dials her, they get her. Um, she can't represent them both. She'll just she'll just go for the person who calls her first. So it might be just worth making a note of Aisha's number if you are married and minted and listening to this podcast. So I began by asking Aisha, is it true that she had actually banned the cardigan? Very much so. Cardigans were, you know, cardigans and anything woolly, or as I put it, anything that you could cosy up by the fire with would not be okay. Because because your people are not cosy, because you don't want them to be comfortable, <laughs> because you think it looks sloppy. What What is it? So we're talking about the old dress code now, which was very much a classic city legal look. So tailored suits, it was jackets, not cardigans. It was tailored skirts or trousers, as people preferred, classic shoes, classic hair. It was just a very classic legal look because that was the professional standard that we were adopting. And your customers are high end. They have to be because the last time anyone could get a figure, you were charging about 1200 quid an hour plus VAT. Uh, dare I ask what it might be now? I think that's still the case. I think that's still my rate, although, of course, I have a strategic role in the majority of cases. And then we have a whole army of other lawyers who actually run things day to day under my direction. So in the nicest possible way, Aisha, you don't deal with run of the mill divorces, do you? What's your starting point? How much money has to be involved? How much property what are we talking before you'll enter the mix? I mean, it depends whether you're talking about Vardags, my firm, and broadly, I think the, the easiest rule of thumb would be to say that we deal with, with millionaires, which is a much bigger category nowadays than it used to be. Um, for me personally, it's generally cases in the hundreds of millions that I am personally fully involved with. Right. We are talking really, really wealthy people here. And do you think these people simply have unrealistic expectations of marriage? No, I don't think anyone goes into marriage with unrealistic expectations. I think marriage is incredibly hard, partly because we all live a lot longer than we used to, partly because we are all more independent. We have a lot more autonomy than we used to. So women, for example, didn't used to have a lot of choices if they were unhappy in a marriage. And, um, and the combination of two autonomous people going through long phases and changes in their lives means that inevitably there can be shifts, there can be partings of the way. The problem is if people start saying, well, if that happens, it's a calamity, it's a catastrophe, everybody's failed, somebody's been very bad. The, the smart thing to do is to say, OK, we, we had this time together and now it's a new chapter and let's just manage all of that really fairly and really decently. Mm. If only it would be most people's experience of divorce. It should be possible. Perhaps it does happen and perhaps you try to make it possible. Can I put to you the accusation, Aisha, that all too many divorce lawyers will actually make relations between the two parties worse and not better? I very much agree with that. I think it, it used to be worse in the past and there was a sense that 
people wanted a divorce lawyer who was going to be nasty and aggressive and make the other side feel bad. And, uh, and, and they would channel the kind of aggression and the hurt and anger of the, the wounded party, as it were, against the other side. Um, that really, I, I feel, has absolutely no place in divorce law. In divorce law, you're generally dealing with two perfectly civilized people. Nobody's a bad person. Nobody's done anything dreadful other than all of us as we are all are very imperfect yeah. and what you're trying to do is resolve things and sort things out between them in the context of them very often remaining a family albeit a, a family that's parted and gone in different directions because there are very often still children there in the mix they're going to carry on co-parenting them in a perfect world they'll still have dinners and birthdays and graduations together or even holidays together and so what you want to try to do is to get everything sorted out for them so that your client gets the absolute maximum that that they you know that they can but that that's done in a decent civilized way and nasty snipey threatening um behavior has no place in family law are you still are you still shockable Aisha or have you seen and heard it all before I think it's hard to shock me now. I think I think you don't go into family law if you're very shockable. You have to be very open to how dreadful people can be sometimes in extremists, how um how cruel they can sometimes be, how ridiculous they can be and and how vulnerable they are. Often family lawyers it's it's a very particular part of the law. People go into it who've loved literature and psychology and understanding people and their stories when you're that kind of person you're not really a very shockable person can we go right back to the case that made your name really the landmark case about prenups and i was reading a little bit about this it was between a german heiress and a french husband and the heiress had quite a bit of money to protect and just explain how you made your name around that particular case so uh there was a conventional law on prenuptial agreements that in England they weren't recognised. They were void actually as contrary to public policy because they contemplated divorce. And then any time the courts thought about them, they said, well, you know, it's very mean to women, these poor women, you know, they sign these things and then they're, you know, left in trouble and we shouldn't let that happen to the poor things. And uh, and so broadly I said, first of all, well, the idea that it's void as contrary to public policy, that is out of the window once we're contemplating divorce, the idea of a prenup that just would manage things upon divorce being void because of that is just outdated, obsolete, you need to throw that away. And that was thrown away completely, completely eradicated from the law, hundreds of years of that sort of, uh, that outdated notion. And, uh, And then the next thing I very much took was it's if women want their place at the table that they deserve and equal opportunity and equal access to power and money, um, then they need to be willing to have equal responsibility. You can't say on the one hand, I want my place at the table, and on the other hand, oh, I'm such a flimsy, fragile little thing and I get so kind of all fluffy about the idea of getting married that don't hold me to my bargains. And I, I said this this idea, this this paternalism within family law is doing women a huge disfavour. Now, it was very helpful that in this instance, 
uh, it was the woman who had the money. Usually it's the other way around. I think that helped the judges to focus their minds on the reality of the situation and look at this in a, you know, from the perspective of equality and the idea that also that um, the couples ought to have the autonomy to determine their own affairs. My other very strong position was that there's a contract anyway. It's a state contract at the moment. The state jumps in and tells you how you're going to organize things. Why shouldn't couples be able to agree those things between each other in the good times when they respect each other, when they have a choice about whether they're going to get married or not, um, rather than just have the court impose it later? Because having that happen, having the court impose these huge orders of 50% of someone's entire net asset, for example, um, was stopping people from getting married mm. at all. And that wasn't good for anyone. So fortunately, those arguments persuaded the Court of Appeal and the Supreme Court, and that was how we changed the law. Do you think that this country does have a very fair divorce system, and do people come here to use it? Um, whether it's fair or not depends on your perspective. If you're the one who doesn't have the money, it is very that the perspective is that it's very very fair because english law has the the principle that there's no discrimination between breadwinner and homemaker so if you were at home either supporting your spouse through the building of a home or taking care of children or doing whatever and they don't like to get into it doesn't matter that he or she was out there bringing home the you know the money um you just share it all equally and you view it as a partnership one big pot that you built up together you share it out broadly equally um of course if you're the person who made the money um that can feel very unfair and it feels even it feels much more unfair when it's someone who really feels that their spouse hasn't made a contribution in fact has been positively unhelpful and uh, and then it then it feels very wrong and the fact is the law can't can't get the, as as one judge said we don't like to rummage around in the attic of the marriage to see how someone actually behaved they yes. really but, there but, we go. Sure, but, but but that must be fair. It must be fairer for women who have largely taken the domestic role throughout history. One hopes that it is changing now, because apart from anything else, it would just be very difficult after maybe 10, 15 years of being at home to suddenly pick up a career that would enable you to make the same kind of money that your spouse had made. The way it used to be was that you would meet both parties' needs. So if you had a spouse that had been working at home, perhaps was um, unable to get a position in the workplace, then they would get either a lump sum or maintenance that would meet their needs for whatever period they were going to need that, be that their whole lives in some cases. That's different from potentially dividing up a you know billion pound fortune and splitting it down the middle. And that is where people debate, is it really fair to give the person who didn't earn the money, didn't do any part of it, uh, but did stay at home providing the contribution that they were making, is it fair to give them the, the share of that whole giant fortune or should you just generously meet their needs? That's where the debate is. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? 
and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Our big guest this afternoon is divorce lawyer Aisha Vardag. Aisha, um, when you've got a pair of really successful people who are splitting up, uh, and I guess there's a fair chance that they both might want your services, do you pick the woman, do you pick the man, or is it just a question of whoever picks up the phone first? Uh, yeah, it's whoever gets to us first. Really? Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Yes. I wonder how many people have you on speed dial, well, Aisha. I'm thinking in the, in the rare chance that I get married again, I certainly would just take Aisha, although I'm not sure I could afford her. Um, do you have to like yeah. your clients, or does it not matter one iota? You don't have to like your clients, and you have you know, you have to be very conscious that as a lawyer, you actually have a real responsibility to try to do justice. And when you have a client in front of you, it's not your job to judge them. It's your job to put their case. However, it's actually quite difficult not to like your clients. Usually you get very involved with them. You're involved with their side of the story, they, they often have very raw emotions and they turn to you um, with their sense of, of need. And getting involved, helping someone like that, it's it forms a very strong connection. It's very difficult not to like them. Yeah, so empathy is required, which probably isn't true in all areas of the law, is it? Yeah, that's absolutely right. I think um, there are probably areas of the law in which empathy is a disadvantage. I used to work in the city doing, you know, on you know bond issues and project financing power stations and there having a load of empathy wouldn't have helped me at all it was intellectually interesting but that was it whereas now my work is all about empathy because it's about understanding what your client really wants and then going and getting them that not just telling them this is what this is what it is this is how it's going to be it's listening understanding and then telling their story in a way that's really true and going to resonate with the court yes of course we should say most divorces don't get anywhere near a court do they it just doesn't work like that way for the vast majority of people divorcing that's absolutely right and that's a very good thing there has to be an awful lot at stake to make it worth 
going to court and spending a load of money on lawyers and having all the conflict and the stress that that involves. It's much better to try and settle things around your kitchen table. As long as there's no inequality, no abusive position, much better people sort mm. things out for themselves. You must have seen some quite strange clauses in the divorces of the very, very super rich and possibly very, very famous. I mean, are there things like, you know, I can't possibly live without the swans. I, you know, I, I really do need the helicopter on a Wednesday. <laughs> Can you maybe entertain so, us with some of the lighter side of divorce? Uh, there, there is a lot of that and we'd have people fighting for sort of months or even years over the very special pet rabbit until ultimately the rabbit dies. And then, you know, long, long battles over the stereo system that would end up, you know, going on and costing more than the stereo system. But both sides were so entrenched. Um, one side was actually having having a wisdom tooth removed and it was very it was very stubborn i was in the dentist chair but my assistant lawyer was ringing me from on site at someone's house where the the man our client was trying to kind of dig up the garden lights because he said these are mine these should be mine and uh, and my <laughs> stop him and I was talk him down in between the drilling in my wisdom tooth so it's kind of um never a dull moment yes uh, do you are you ever just driven to despair by the hateful pettiness of some individuals i mean i i hate to say it but hateful pettiness is kind of my stock in trade <laughs> I, have to, I have to just absorb it and and you understand people become a little bit irrational when it's you know they're feeling devastated there are bigger things that are hurting them a sense of loss of abandonment of worthlessness of you know never being happy again but that might cause them just to freak out about the coffee maker and you know all they're doing it's just symptomatic so you have to try and understand where they're really coming from so yeah. yes Pettiness isn't really necessarily hateful. It's just it's just pain. Yes, and I suppose some of my sympathy is reserved for those people who are deeply unhappy with another person, but actually can't afford to split up. Um, and you don't you don't see those people, but they're out there. They're still together, and they're eking out what could be decades of misery. Yeah, and that should never happen. And divorce is now available to everyone you don't have to prove fault in some way you can engage in your divorce and then it is just a question though of trying to make limited resources that were available to two people share out yeah. um you know into into two individuals and making it work with the family and of course the state needs to help with that in those circumstances and frankly needs to be providing more legal aid for couples to get lawyers to help them in that cutting legal aid for divorce financial cases um was just a huge was a disaster um and then making it available only when there's domestic violence uh, results in people alleging domestic violence when you know when they shouldn't be just to get financial help so that was a bit of a fiasco that was leading divorce lawyer Aisha Vardag and um well neither of us could afford her but hopefully there won't be a next time well, I think that's very unlikely for me. Are you planning on a marital adventure again? Uh, no, not in a million, not in a trillion, billion, gazillion years. <laughs> Although, of course, health and safety coming up, you are better protected if you're married than cohabiting, aren't you? 
Yes. Legally, I'm talking about. If there's huge amounts of money involved, put a ring on it. That's all I'll say. Because then you've got some hope of getting your mitts on the squillions. Yes, but, but that's a terrible, terrible well, way to I look am, at love. I, you know how romantic I am. It's just the way. <laughs> it's just the way I am. No, it's a terribly honour. But the, so is. I, I mean, I was interested in what she said about prenups, but. It is a peculiar thing, isn't it, to sit there? She's right. She said, look, in the good times, that's when you're able to talk logically and sensibly and there's no heat in the room about what you would do if you split up. But who honestly, truly does get married thinking, well, we're likely to break up? It's a, it's a peculiar set of circumstances. Clearly, prenups are very sensible if you can afford them. But it's a funny state of mind. Yes, and I think prenups are a million miles away from, from entering my world. And, I think most people's worlds. And, most yeah, people always will be. Yeah. It's a shame we didn't have more time, actually, with Aisha, because she's got a fascinating life story, uh, not least having two children in her 50s, uh, for which I really salute her. But there are so many questions that I'd like to ask her just about tiredness, fatigue, and also how that changes your horizon. We spent quite a, a lot of the programme today. And actually, we have this week, you know, talking about ageing. There's something funny going on with our attitude to ageing at the moment, isn't there? Where we're celebrating this huge kind of ability to live longer, yeah. whilst at the same time, really, really already worrying about how people will afford that and whether or not you'll stay in good health, whilst buying lots and lots of anti-ageing ageing creams and drinking strange potions to make us look younger is all a bit of a kibosh. But if you have children, I mean, her, she had a, a baby at 52, your horizon about your old age must be very different. I was fascinated. We'll have to get her back on. So she was 52, so the child will be... 18. So she'll be 70 she'll be when 70. the child enters adulthood. Yeah, I mean, it's just very different, isn't it? Well, I think it's pretty different, difficult to be 58 with a 19-year-old sometimes. Actually, she's nearly 20. I can't believe that. I'm not going to have a teenager by uh, February the 5th. That's incredible. Happy yeah. birthday. Thank you. Yes, yes, I was there. No, no, no. <laughs> no, uh, no not to you. To her. I always think it's a bit... Do you know what? I seriously do, do think, think it's... it's about you? I, no, I do. Well, I always do, but um, <laughs> obviously. Uh, but I do think... as it, Birthdays are clearly for the mother, aren't they? Really? No, they're they not. Are. So I'm going to university to her digs and I'm going to turn up and say, come on, darling, it's all about me. But how, me. Would, but how would you... So do you think that on your birthday, do you think this is actually a day to celebrate my mum? Um... Right, let's uh, let's talk. You, you mentioned aging, and let's talk about Kirsty Allsop. Yes, let's. Who has said um, that she believes that being a little bit plump helps her to look young. Now, this has been a difficult week for me because I think it was on Tuesday. I can't be certain at about. 20 past three, can't be absolutely certain, may have been 21 minutes past three, a listener texted in to say, I wasn't fat, I was pleasantly plump. Well, I hadn't called you fat. That was the thing. You were talking about dropping 213 calories a day, which was a news story. 216. I'm so sorry. And, and, and you had said something about not being thin, I and I just lobbed him, well, you're not fat either. No. Well, and then a listener, less than supportively, said, no, Jane, you're not fat, you're pleasantly plump. Alliteration doesn't help. But you're not even pleasantly plump. Mm. He thought so. Anyway, <laughs> Kirsty has told Good Housekeeping, I'm always torn between the desire to lose weight and the desire not to have it fall off my face. I don't know what she means. Oh, the flesh. Yes, the flesh fall off her face. 
Uh, but anyway, much more important than that. She says um, that she does, she is concerned about ageing. Um, she confessed that while she hadn't experienced ageism personally, we have all witnessed it, she says. Because the fact is, you're allowed to go on for much longer as a man than you are as a woman. And women have to work a lot harder than men to not fade out. It isn't easy at all. She spoke about how she keeps herself mentally fit, saying it's about exercise and tidiness. And she added, the latter is a big issue for me. I have to have everything neat. If I'm having a particularly busy day, I think of something our late queen used to say. This storm too shall pass. It's very true. There are always days ahead, says Kirsty, and the late queen. Well, of course, as it turns out, not so many. <laughs> well, she was 96. It's a good age. Anyway, <laughs> that wasn't the way that was supposed to end. It wasn't, was it? It was meant to be very, very profound. Yes. And, and, and it, if, it was, if it was a musical, that's the moment where the, the final perfect cadence would simply go, dong, yes, dong. <laughs> But instead it went, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. Okay, can we just have a very, very quick word about Happy Valley? Oh, yes, go on, yeah. So we have both now got to the end of episode four. There are only two episodes left to go. What do you think is going to happen? Well, I think what I'm puzzled about is why he got away and what his connection to that crime family actually is. Why did he agree to appear in court to plead guilty to something he didn't do? How was he sprung with the help of this crime syndicate? What's the link? And what does any of this have to do with the creepy chemist who's now murdered that poor woman who was married to the horrible, controlling, bullying PE teacher? I can't understand it. No. Do you have a good feeling? Because this is the last series ever, isn't it? Two more episodes to go. I will be horrified if... Royce? Royce? What's his name? What's James Norton's character called? Uh, Tommy Lee Royce. Tommy Lee Royce. If he is alive at the end of episode six, I will not be a happy woman. Yeah, I agree with you. And so actually, I've... Catherine has got to be alive. Yeah, I've got this horrible feeling, though. Oh, no. You know when you read that it's the last ever, the last ever, and sometimes I really read things into people's tweets. And so Sarah Lancashire's, you know, when she says, we've only got two episodes left, this is, you know, I'm loving it, it's happy, va-. I just think, oh, no, no, are you going to be all right? They can't. They no. just... I might not be able to watch that final, final episode. I'm just going to come into work on the Monday morning and just watch your facial expression. I think that's the week we're off. Oh, gosh, is it? Mm. Oh, that's very difficult for me. Nice well, for you, but difficult for me. The ski, okay. the ski lifts beckon, darling. Well, darling, they certainly do. They certainly do. I'm doing quite a lot of stretching. A lot of core work is going on at the moment. But obviously, as mentioned today, absolutely no showering at all. Good night. Yeah. Bye, Pongo. (laughs) You have been listening to Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Ben Mitchell. Now you can listen to us on the free Times radio app or you can download every episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that if you liked what you heard and thought, hey, I want to listen to this, but live, uh, then you can Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5 on Times Radio. Yeah. Embrace the live radio jeopardy. Thank you for listening and hope you can join us off air very soon. Goodbye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes, flat 
rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com